It's the Hoffman Show, final hour here on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We are streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Chat's been super active today. Thanks, everyone, who is tuning in there. Uh, And joining us now is our good buddy, Kevin Sheehan, of course, host every single day earlier in the day on the station 10 a.m to 1 p.m also the kevin sheehan show podcast mr sheehan happy holidays how are you craig happy holidays to you as well what's going on oh you know just trying to get through to the end of the year i feel like this time of year for us in this business can be super exciting because you're in the middle of a playoff race or you're just like everyone else in the universe where you're just like i have no motivation to do this work whatever your work is and then you just want to kind of get to the new year. And I feel like this year, more than any other, I feel that in a major way because we know the new year will bring the coaching search and all those other things. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think that at least Ron gave us an early gift by benching Hal and putting Brissett in there on Sunday. That was a nice little early gift. Um, gave us something to talk about for a couple of days anyway. But Absolutely. I mean, after, you know, the big picture has always been all season long. This is a transition year. Whatever happens, happens. Dan is gone. And in January of 2024, there's going to be a whole new start to this football organization and, uh, you know, a new group leading it for the first time in a quarter century. And, you know, for those of us that have had this team as, as an important part of our lives, sometimes an outsized important part of our lives. That's, you know, that's something to look forward to and to be able to kind of watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so the the question of the transition is, I mean, we, we pretty much knew that Rivera would be gone, that the front office would change over. There was always this question of whether enemy would be a part of the future and then obviously how. Um, how much did, did Sunday, if any, change your thoughts on either of those two guys being a part of the future? You know, I don't think anything in the way that Sam Howell played or Eric Bieniemy called the game changed my opinion, which has all year been, I'm going to wait and watch, you know, the majority, if not all 17 games, and hopefully come to a conclusion, which I was nowhere near on as it relates to either one of them. But I think that benching Sam Howell, and I, I Craig, I, I don't know how much you thought this was a you know, a a telling um, moment, but for development, development, development all year long, um, much worse conditions in game. We're going to let him play through it. We're going to let him work his way through it. This year is about developing the quarterback. Yanking him in that moment said to me that they had gotten to the point where they were frustrated um, with him and not, you know, not with him personally, but with some of the growth that they had hoped to see that they weren't necessarily seeing do more with things that were there that he didn't see. Um, And they, I think maybe let their emotions get the better of them and they pulled them. I don't think it was a great idea at the time or in hindsight, or maybe it was to benefit Sam. Hey, let's take a look at what Jacoby does. Let's give you a break from, you know, um, perhaps another, bad ending. And to me, that's telling um, because I don't think the majority of people who are following this felt at any point that the group out there was anything other than really pleased 
with his development. So I thought Sunday was telling. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this is, you know, the, the chances increased exponentially, especially if this group were to stay, which they're not, but with a new regime that they will be exploring very seriously a quarterback in the upcoming draft. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And as we've been talking about at nauseum, and I know you said the same thing, like it obviously it's going to depend on what you think of the quarterbacks coming out, which uh, I don't think most of us have done any kind of real evaluation on yet. And obviously we have three more games of Sam. I, I tend to actually believe them, though, to an extent when they're like, yeah, they, we did this for Sam. I actually think it was the right move to pull him for a development because sometimes you just need a reset. And he seemed to be spiraling in a way that, he had not all year, and I would say, Kevin, I think Sunday was the first time that I, I I feel like I saw him break. Like, he had been so resilient all year, and I just felt like I was watching a different guy, and he's had bad games, but even against Buffalo, when he throws all those picks, like, he comes back, and he's keeping on going on, and he's, and he's trying to do the right things, and it just felt like Sunday, he was so scattered and broken that pulling him was the right thing to kind of hopefully reset him for the final three. It's, I mean, perspectives, everything, I guess. I, I didn't feel like it was anywhere near one of his worst games. I didn't feel like it was anywhere near um, uh, the moments that we've seen at various times this year when he was being battered and being hit and, and truly at maybe physical risk, um, whether it was him or the offensive line or whatever. It doesn't really matter anymore. Well, it does matter. But I, I – and, and, you know, in, on some level, really that should have been – if they felt that way in the moment. Maybe it was, Hey, he was frustrated. He knew he missed some things, you know, on the interception, maybe he missed Terry, you know, earlier and had to come back to him late and had it picked. But the drive before that was the one that they had, you know, were coming off a touchdown drive and he threw a beautiful ball to Terry McLaurin that should have been, you know, flagged for DPI. Um, so I don't know. I mean, they know, and if they said, look, he really was, you know, exhausted, tired, frustrated himself, and there wasn't, it would have been diminishing returns to keep him into the game, then, then I understand that. But in watching the game, at no moment did I feel like he was physically, you know, at risk or that he was in the midst of his worst game. It wasn't a good game for him, but he's played worse games this year yeah I mean he's had worse outcomes I'm trying to think back I mean the Buffalo game was obviously horrible but I, th I think in a way like the fact that he wasn't under duress and didn't feel as in as if he was in physical harm's way and he still was you know patting the football overly and vacating clean pockets and doing all the bad stuff that he does when he's bad I, I almost wonder if that's why they pulled him it's like Hey man, this isn't Buffalo where you're, you know, nine sacks, four interceptions. This isn't the Giants where you're, you don't know where the blitz is coming from every play. Like, it's there. You're not reading it. You're missing stuff. And, and I almost wonder if kind of what you're saying played into their decision, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. No, that's a good point. I mean, you know, it wasn't a duress game for him, and it still wasn't a good game. And, he was, as you said, vacating the pocket pretty quickly. Um, and there were opportunities that, we, that he was missing. And maybe what was going on is, you know, he was coming back and he was sitting down next to Eric and Eric's like, what are you seeing? And he's like, I, you know, I, I don't know. And maybe it just got to the point where they felt it was in his best interest to sit, you know, the last seven and a half minutes out, especially since in the moment it was 28 to seven. And it's not like there was much of a chance that they were going to come back 
in the game. Um, yeah, all of that is possible. The, the bottom line, though, is whatever the reason, they've gotten to a point with him where it's stalled, if not gone backwards a bit. And I think that there was at various times, I, I think at it, it, various times it's been, you know, forward momentum, and then I think you take a you know, step back. But I, I always felt it was a step and a half forward with a step back, that there was more good than, than not good for most of the year, that there was promise, there was intrigue. Not in, you know, maybe they've found the next elite quarterback, but maybe they have found a starting NFL quarterback. And to me, um, yeah, maybe they told you, you know, put the brakes on that for right now. Yeah, no, I think we're 100% on the same page there. Kevin Sheehan is with us, of course, host of the Kevin Sheehan Show here on the Team 980. This is the Hoffman Show, which also streams live on YouTube at the Team 980. Uh, all of our shows always live on the free Odyssey app. All right, Kevin, now time for the really fun sports radio reckless speculation. If Jacoby Brissett is the starter all year, how different does this season look as we extrapolate from 10 throws? Because the defense was so bad all year long and so disappointing, two wins better. You know, maybe they're six and eight, maybe they're seven and seven, you know, with an outside shot. But with the 49ers and the Cowboys looming, they probably don't make the playoffs. They probably go eight and nine, you know, seven and 10 or something like that. Um, I, I've been a fan of Jacoby Brissett going back to NC State. So I, I de- definitely talked him up in a big way during the offseason. Not as a guy that would be, you know, the answer long term, but as a guy that can really play. And and by the way, last year had maybe the best year of his career with a Cleveland defense that was very injured and much different than the one that they had this year. Um, so I think he was the better quarterback to play this year. But they decided, and I'm not, I wasn't against it, to take a look at what Sam could be in terms of ceiling and upside and down the road because we knew what Jacoby's was, which is, you know, high, high-end backup, you know, low, low-end starter for most of his career. Could it have changed? Could, it be, could he turn into Geno Smith? Um, maybe, but that wasn't what I, I think anybody thought. And so the plan to develop Sam, to see what he had, to see if there was a future there, I don't think was a bad one. Tommy brought up a point early in the year, and he brought it up again to me today on the podcast. He said, the one problem when you sort of take on that kind of direction and you're as you know transparent as they've been with it is guys like Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and Jahan Dotson in his second year, you know, you're risking wasting their, you know, their year. And in many ways, you know, I don't want to say it was a waste because they were decent offensively at times. They moved the ball. They threw it a lot, clearly. But it certainly wasn't a winning, you know, team on either side of the ball. Well, and that so that gets to kind of my bigger point, which is it's not so much like they didn't have to waste the year. They decided to waste the year with a very silly way of approaching this that I also don't think was the best thing for developing the quarterback, which is being the most pass-heavy team in the league, not really tailoring a a system to their very, very talented outside receiving personnel, to not investing in the O-line. Like, I I think it's it's hard for people to hold these two thoughts at once, that like this O-line is not the worst in the NFL, that it is actually a fairly average O-line, And that is also completely unacceptable for this quarterback. And that's the thing I'll never understand is 
if you were going to go down this route, how was this the plan either to win football games or develop Sam Howell? Because we've seen it's accomplished neither. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I still look at Sam Howell and I think, you know, put him into, you know, a, 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 a sort of Shanahan style scheme, you know, whether it's inside zone, outside zone, marrying, you know, marrying the run and pass with boot and keeper and all that stuff, man, just his skill set seems to fit that kind of an offense. And, you know, there's always this old adage when it comes to young rookie quarterbacks or inexperienced quarterbacks, the best friend of one is a running game. That was never going to be a part of, of the plan. And, you know, It's funny, Craig, because early in the season, I remember saying, I wonder if this is like some sort of long game on Sam. Like, we're just going to let him throw it around the park and he's going to end up with all these attempts and and we're going to know whether or not he can he can be that kind of quarterback. And if he isn't, then we'll we'll move on. But, yeah, it wasn't clearly in hindsight the best kind of way to use him. Um, He's not at this point in his very young career definitely not a pure drop back, you know, five, seven step drop back quarterback. Um, he just doesn't see it uh, well. Um, and he doesn't feel it well. Uh, and when they went to the quick game stuff, they stuck with throwing the football, but that worked much better for him. But yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of obvious now and it's been obvious at times during the year that certainly the drop, the pure drop back game was never a fit. Never. Yeah, no, 100%. Kevin Sheehan's with us here on the Hoffman Show. Um, Was there any, going back to kind of the Brissett angle of this and bringing this all together, was there ever any off-ramp for you this year that you would have considered pulling the plug and going, no, it's time to go to Jacoby? No, and I, and at the beginning of the year, you know, it was kind of a question that we all kind of pondered and asked and took calls on. And I said, it's stupid to just give him a blanket 17 games. What if he's absolutely terrible? Like, what, what if you are just an he, – he can't do it? Right. Of course you would pull it earlier. Like, this idea of just giving him 17 games to see, I always thought was silly. But the truth is, once we got through the, the, you know, the, the second Philly game, maybe before that, um, I had seen enough you know, to say, let's see more. Let's just keep seeing more. Um, there was never a point in which I thought he was completely overwhelmed and couldn't do it, and this was a complete waste of time. Did I ever at any point think, oh, they've got their answer? No, not even close to it. And I've kind of mocked some of those people who have just said, oh, we've got him. It's Joe Montana, number two. If you can't see it, you're an idiot. Um, but there's no doubt that I think there were times where you're like, wow, you know, he's he's got a good arm. He can make every throw ball comes out quickly when they're in that quick game. He's really good at extending plays and making plays off schedule. Um, You know, there's, there might be something here, you know, maybe, maybe they've got an Andy Dalton. That was always my high end comp. I'm like, maybe, you know, if Sam Howell is, you know, continues to progress, maybe you get, you know, a, a number 14 to 18 quarterback in the league in two years, like Andy Dalton became, um, so no, I, I never, I never suggested he can't do it. Let's move on. 
I would say Sunday was the first time I was like, I wonder what this looks like with Brissett. That was the only, I mean, obviously there's some of the blowouts where you're like, do you just pull him because this game's so far out of reach um, and there's there's no point. But Sunday was the first time that I had a thought earlier in the game where I was like, what does this look like with Jacoby? And and obviously we kind of found out late, but no Aaron Donald on the field, prevent defense, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, if you if you had asked the question, was there an off-ramp because all you wanted this year was to contend and make the playoffs, I probably would have viewed it differently. Sure. But uh, but but the, the plan for them all season long, and we sort of just kind of fell into it, was this is a year in which, you know, they're going to find out whether or not the fifth-round, you know, pick in 2022 can be their answer and they can build around them. So the actually more interesting off ramp that a hundred percent should have happened in the benefit of hindsight or with the benefit of hindsight, and I think a lot of us would have liked to see without the hindsight needed, is this defense was better on Sunday and they are playing faster and obviously their personnel has gotten worse with the trades. Um, we all knew that was a part of the equation, just a worth it one. Uh, at least most of us think that uh, in terms of what they got in return for Montez specifically. But I, I just wonder, Kevin, like how, if you're Ron Rivera, how do you try to justify not making some of these changes either with Jack and just being like, Jack, we're going to try it my way or getting rid of him in the middle of the season when you see a more confident secondary, when you see a more cohesive pass rush, when you see linebackers not lost all the time. It just seems like this is so obvious and there's so much low hanging fruit that to not take that off ramp earlier in the season is going to be the thing that uh, is, is actually more detrimental and more dooming of the 2023 season in a vacuum or in without, you know, in a vacuum without any other context than anything that happened on the offensive side of the ball. Well, you have better vision than I have. Um, although it's funny because I did say, and I had somebody just blast me because um, I read it uh, this afternoon, I did say I actually thought they played fast and that they gave real effort and they looked energetic on Sunday defensively. But other than that, um, you know, the big chunk plays, you know, seven of them, 16 yards or more, six point whatever yards per play, you know, the, the miscommunication, which are devastating plays, you know, like the touchdown pass to Cooper, the inability to stop the run, um, and, you know, although, it, it, although when I talked on Monday about the, the team, I'm like, you know, I thought Deron Payne looked good. I thought that KJ Henry shows signs. I think that, um, you know, Kalee Hudson undersized really tries hard. It really actually hits hard. Um, I like Quan Martin actually, and the, the, the level of speed he plays at, I liked him on teams earlier, um, in the season. Uh, and, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there were individual performances, but man, if we go back to the beginning of this season, the number one stunner for me, and I would think a lot of people, is that at the very least, we thought we had a good defense. And it was really an abject disaster after week three. I mean, I thought they played well against Arizona. I think they won the Arizona game. I think the Jamin Davis play in the Denver game turned that game completely around. The offense came to life as well. 100%. And I actually thought defensively they played well against Buffalo. They, they just you know got away from them late because they couldn't score and were turning it over. But after that, my God, I mean, they just – every week it was one explosive play 
after another. If the Jets end up with explosive plays on Sunday, I mean, because that, Craig, may be the worst offensive NFL team we've seen in a few years, um, then, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they do. No, I mean, Garrett Wilson's really good. In fairness to them and their potential explosiveness, Garrett Wilson Brees is... Brees Hall's really good. Yeah, Brees Hall's awesome. And they, they have generated some big explosive plays in the run game, so it feels like that's probably going to happen. Um, have you talked about the Forbes thing at all the last couple of days? The what? I'm sorry. The Emmanuel Forbes uh, six snaps that he got on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I, I had Nikki Javala on the show today. We talked a little bit about it. It's clear. I mean, how do you get to a point at the end of the year where you're not playing for anything, and it should be let's take a look at everybody and see, and your first-round pick is out there for six snaps? It's odd. I don't, I don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, you may have a, 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 a point of view here. My point of view is it's very stupid. It's impossibly dumb. You mean just get him out there and play him? Yeah, like are you a better oh, yeah. team with Kendall Fuller out there? There's Probably, really but something that they're concerned about. Unless it's injury, I don't care. Like you've got to get him out there because you drafted him in the first round, and he's got to get the experience and the looks and and be able to bank that stuff. And if he's not healthy, then why is he dressed and playing six snaps in the first place? Yeah, I'm. Um, they can only they can answer it. And yeah, I don't expect yeah. you to have an answer. To be clear, because I don't think there I don't, is. I a don't good have one. an answer. Uh, you know, I I actually liked the player based on you know everything I saw in college, and I thought he'd be a good fit for the way they played defense last year in particular. But they played more man this year, and things changed. And um, you know, it's funny about the draft, all the early, you know, conversations about the draft. And my, my point of view is you can't look at a draft, you know, five weeks into a season, seven weeks into a season, it's two, three years down the road, but I'll tell you what, 14 games into the season and you're four and 10 and your first round pick is healthy and he's only out there for six snaps is troubling. Uh, yeah, it's also coaching malpractice. Uh, and I just, I feel like it deserves some attention so we could, we could give it, uh, the proper attention here at the end of our chat. Uh, Kevin Sheehan on 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. daily here on the Team 980. Also, do not miss the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. Kevin, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Uh, are you around this weekend? Are you, are you shutting off all devices for the holidays? No, no. I'm going to be totally my boys in town. Nice. My wife already has been warned that Christmas night dinner has to start early enough so that we can hunker down to watch one of the games of the last few years in the regular season. I mean, Ravens 49ers on Monday night is, yeah. is I, I can't remember a late AFC NFC matchup like this one. Well, it's funny because if you go all the way back to 07, you had Giants Patriots, which you did not realize at the time was so significant. It was just like, can the Giants be the team that, ends the perfect regular season. Turns out they did it in the Super Bowl instead. But that was that's the one that immediately comes to mind. That's also not well, that recent Well, remember about that game. The Giants had things wrapped up, I'm pretty sure, as well. And they didn't have to go out there and really push the Patriots to try to end it, but they did. Yeah. Um, Probably learned and, a thing uh, or two. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, no, great football all weekend long. Uh, just what, just what <laughs> you know, Certain people and certain families want to hear when people are like, wait a minute, we got Dolphins Cowboys going on on Christmas Eve at four o'clock. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and also Commander's Jets. 
Uh, there's great oh, football and and also our game. Uh, all right. Well, in that case, if you're if you're uh, geeking up for football, uh, we'll talk to you Sunday on the pregame show, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk uh, we'll talk soon offline as well. Thanks, buddy. All right. Sounds good, Craig. Thanks. That is Kevin Sheehan with us here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, when we get back, we will take a couple more of your calls on Howell Bienemy 301-230-0980. Taking calls in the six o'clock hour. Yeah, we'll do that next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Anthony, I just gave you a solo shot. There. Oh, rock out a little bit. I was dancing. I got you. And look, you missed it. I mean, everyone that wasn't watching did. Oh, okay. The the scores of people that are watching the YouTube stream at the Team 980, yep, they, they got the full, the full Anthony Haney experience <laughs> over there in the producer studio. ISO'd and everything without my dumb face in the way. Uh, so we'll take your calls, 301-230-0980. It's the Ace Law listener line on Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy, kind of the offensive ecosystem, if you will, of the commanders. We had as packed a phone lines as we've ever had in the first hour talking about all this. So I want to let y'all get in in the 6 o'clock hour here as well. Let's start off with Robert in Annapolis. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. Hey, Merry Christmas, fellas. Uh, I wanted to ask you if you or any of your colleagues have asked or thought about asking Scott Turner to come on as a guest and maybe discuss Sam Howe and anything else about the commanders he might want to discuss. Um, I haven't really thought deeply about it. Um, after my criticism of Scott last year, I don't know whether he'd be that oh. interested in joining me, um, to be honest, but like, it was never personal. It was just professional. It's my, me doing my job is evaluating him doing his job, but I would be interested. Um, is there anything in particular, let's say all of a sudden that we reach out to Scott Turner and get him, was there anything in particular you'd be interested in, in hearing well, from him? Uh, one curiosity is why he was never given a starting assignment before the end of the year. Was there an issue with learning mm. a system or whatever else uh, may have been uh, resulting in him not being given a start? And uh, just really his assessment of his uh, potential to be a starting NFL quarterback. Um, I think that would be interesting. I think the the start part of it, thanks for the call, Robert, is that's pretty easy. We've been over this a million times. They wanted to start Carson, obviously, the beginning of the year. Sam was a bit of an afterthought. Um, Carson was bad and then broke his finger. Taylor was the obvious backup. And Taylor played well enough, long enough, that you get to the end of the season, all of a sudden there's a playoff spot on the line, and you're to, to then give a rookie his first career start then would have been nuts. Now, it might have worked out. It might have, in hindsight, actually been the best option, but it would have been, like, beyond ballsy to do that at that time. It just It's nonsensical. Hey, let's start a fifth-round rookie in December on the road against Cleveland with the playoffs on the line. What? No. No, 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 no. Um, I think they should have just stuck with Taylor, but again, that's that's last year's fight, not this one uh, or this year's. Um, I would like to know certainly what he's thought of the progression of Sam, and I'd also like to know what he would think of the setup. Like, hey, Scott, if you were in the meetings, in the personnel meetings this offseason, knowing Sam would be your starter, 
how would you have designed this offense? How would you have built it? Um, you know, who knows whether he would be telling the truth in terms of what he would have planned on doing in May versus having all the right answers seemingly in front of us right now, which is something different than what Eric is doing. Um, but I do think it would be interesting. Um, I would certainly be interested in many offensive minds. I know, like, obviously Gruden said a lot uh, when he's been on on the station with with Russell. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting, but also, like, we do this thing with coaches where they fail as coaches and then they become the smartest person on TV. And this is also why I can't stand when fans or hear an analyst say something that's slightly more insightful than the average analysis they've heard their whole life on television and think that that's the smartest person that's ever talked about football. And it's like, no, just you're you're not used to being in football conversations at this level. So when someone talks about a bow concept and a backside dig, you're like, that guy should be the head coach. It's like, actually, it's more complicated than that. Um Let's go to DH. DH, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. Greg, what's up, man? How you feeling, man? Happy holidays to you. Uh, I'm feeling good, man. Happy holidays to you as well. Hey, man, one thing you just said that I thought was very poignant before I get into my point is that football is complicated. Man, I tell people all the time, football is so hard, right? Yeah. And you see guys on Saturdays and Sundays that make it look so easy. But football is very difficult and it's very intricate. So I kind of give these coaches and these players a little break sometimes. But in regards to Ron Rivera, man, in his whole tenure, if you look back over it for the past few years, Ron has gotten, uh, gotten passes at many points, whether it's for health reasons or whether it's because he's a nice guy or whether, you know, Dan always put him in a bad spot. But if you look recently, man, a lot of these issues that have, that have been in the organization have been Ron Rivera created. Uh, how he handled some of those uh, issues in the, in the offseason as far as uh, who said what or uh, how Ron comes to the podium and he's just, too candid about certain things, um, or even the benching on Sunday, man. Like, you got to understand where we are. You didn't bench him when we was getting smoked by 37 to the Buffalo Bills early in the season. You want to protect his confidence then? Okay, cool. But late in the season, when you're out of the playoff mix, you want to just see something different. You want to spark. A spark for what? Man, the team is dead, bro. Granted, you show up every week because you have a job to do, and your goal is to win. But that team has checked out, and the coaching staff has checked out. And you can tell by their play. They come out dead every week. Um, and even on breaks, man, they just don't come out looking right. So I feel like he created that issue last week uh, with, with Jacoby. And the minute Jacoby threw a touchdown pass, Twitter was set ablaze. Jacoby should have been playing all year, da-da-da. And I'm just like, man, what are we doing here? What, what well, are we doing? The and one thing I time, will say, DH, yeah, yeah uh, well, first, I don't think it was a mistake to, to bench him. Um, because I do think in, in some way you like owe it to everybody else to like, hey, let's let's get Terry and John. Uh, they've been out there, you know, running cardio. Let's make sure they get a football every now and again. Um, so there's that. Um, and I guess better late than never on the confidence side of it. But I also think like to your point, if you're going to be smart enough, like this is really like A to B advice, me to you more than like everyone else listening. If you're smart enough to know this stuff is hard, if you're smart enough to know that like this is nuanced and multi-layered and all these things, you gotta be smart enough sometimes to just ignore Twitter, right? Like Absolutely. fans, fans are gonna say what they're gonna say. People are gonna yell because they're angry and because they care. And like that's not actually me even hating on Twitter. It's just like realizing what it is. But people are passionate and they yeah. care. 
And that's why, frankly, I have a job and why Ron gets paid a bunch of money for his. Like, if it's just people out in the grass playing football, like, there's not, it's not a billion dollar enterprise that we're talking about here with a, a whole multi million dollar, if not billion dollar, actually, no, it's multi billion dollar media apparatus around it. it. All this is happening because people care a lot. And I'm always sensitive to that. That doesn't mean we actually have to value the the specific opinions in the heat of a moment, right? Like, and that's that's yeah. the thing about you know Sunday with this is like, you know, I, I would they have a better record with Brissett? Maybe I actually don't even know because their defense is so bad, and uh, you know there was a point where Sam looked like he was on the right trajectory and all that kind of stuff. But what we do know is we now have all this data about Sam versus another eight and nine season where they missed the playoffs. And they're going to have a top five pick, and that's better than... Like, this season, as frustrating as it is, to me, you tell me as a fan, but to me, this is a better outcome than if they started Brissett and it was a better record. Oh, no, for sure. I, I think you get a chance... You got a chance to see what he, what Sam is. And I'm a biggest Sam supporter. As a Carolina fan, I watched Sam, you know, his whole career. So, yes, you got a chance to see over a course of games what he can be. Um, and then now it's up to the new regime to make that decision when they come in. You know, if they want to keep them or if they want to move on from them, I'm perfectly fine with that because at least we got to see. But uh, just the inclination, uh, I mean, the, the iteration of what we have right now is not it. It's not going to work. Totally. And we, we're seeing it. We see it every week. We see it imploding. And I just, I mean, just for, as this becomes a growing thing, every year by this time, we out the mix anyway. So I'm already getting prepared for basketball. <laughs> well, the Wizards are doing great. So we're in fantastic shape there. Although I guess if you're a Carolina Lo- college lovely, basketball lovely. fan. Yeah, uh, you can, you at least got that to fall back on. Uh, DH, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Call anytime. Thanks, man. Peace. All right, that is uh, all of our callers on the Ace Law listener line. 301-230-0980 is, of course, the phone number. And it is brought to you by, you guessed it, Ace Law. If you're in a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check. Call 8888-ACE-LAW. When we get back, we will wrap up this edition of of the Hoffman Show, uh, a little bit of nonsense, and, of course, real things real people said into real microphones. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app with a vibing super producer, Anthony Haney. I'm merely the host, Craig Hoffman. Uh, And I feel like this was a good show. I think we had a really good one today. Fantastic show. You know, we got input from the callers. We we talked some wizards a little bit. We went back to the, you know, the Sam Howe uh, conversation. Linnell came in with an overreaction that, you know, I thought was a little excessive. But that's what besides is, the point. What did, you, what did you think of Linnell's overreaction? I also just realized, apparently, I got three more hours to do with Linnell this week. Linnell is filling in for Logan on pregame. Oh. <laughs> I'd much rather do pregame with Linnell than postgame. Yeah. Yes, I would say that to his face. I probably will say that to his face, to be yeah. honest. Because post-game, he, he's probably going to uh, be uncaged. Pre-game, he's filled with, with it's angst. Although, at this point, I don't even know if he's that angsty. But then, then the game starts, and he just gets super mad again. And he's just like, I hate this team! And I'm like, oh, you, good. Okay, you relax now. Yeah. Uh, but what, what did he overreact to that you were not? Numb? I don't think Sam is broken. He said Sam was broken at this point of the he season. He looked broken on Sunday, bro. Like he was so oh God, that hurt. I think I think the people heard that through the microphone. Yeah, I heard it as well. That was me smashing my knee on the underside of the board. Yeah. Ow. Um he was really bad, man. 
He was. Um, Mark Bullock, in his breakdown, uh, of course, former Washington Post, former uh, The Athletic, now writes Substack and does a lot of film clips and stuff. He's awesome. Um, he thought it was his worst performance of the season. Worse than the Bills? Yeah, because, like, he just – there was so much stuff there. Like, unlike the Bills, right, the Bills, the offensive line did not perform particularly well. Mm-hmm. He invited a ton of pressure, and there was kind of that shell-shocked. There was also a much better defense. Like, there was, there was, it was much more predictable. The Rams' defense is okay. Yeah. But it's not particularly good, and there's definitely things available. I mean, there's touchdowns that are right there. And you're just like, you never looked, man. Like, there's the best example is the the fourth down play where Jonathan Williams winds up wide open up the sideline. And it's a play that you and I have called for touchdowns on Madden a million times. You know what the play is? <laughs> the will. Yeah. It's the mesh spot. Yep. That's all it is. Typically in Madden, at least in the playbook that I use, the if wheel you're running to the man, right. Yeah. If you're running man, that is going to be a touchdown every time. Yeah, all you have to do is kind of step up in the pocket a little bit, allow enough time for the running back to get out there and loft it out over the linebacker's head because yep. you have a, run, a linebacker in space running with a linebacker, and that's when they play it right. The Rams linebacker, who is matched up man-to-man on Jonathan Williams, take just takes one of the dumbest risks you'll ever see from a linebacker. He fakes an A-gap blitz, and what happens is is Sam, right before the snap, motions Jonathan Williams to give him a running start on this wheel route. So Williams has the linebacker out-leveraged, and the linebacker is busy faking this blitz, and like it's, it's obvious if you're an NFL quarterback, you can say, like, that's the guy who's got him in man coverage, and it's obvious it's man-to-man, and he like realizes, I am toast. And he goes to get out of there, and he gets caught up in the wash in the A-gap, and then he runs into Curtis Samuel, like smashes into Curtis Samuel. Mm-hmm. And where is Sam looking? At Curtis Samuel, like at that mesh area over the middle of the field. And if he just looks out left, like Jonathan Williams is all by his own self. And you're just like, why is it that you didn't look there? And then there's some stuff later where there's like certain coverages and they the, the Rams did a good job of disguising some things. Oh, it's too it looks like too high. Now it's one. But it wasn't that complicated. And then there's other times where it was. And like this is the hard part about, you know, defense in the NFL or reading defenses, I should say, is I was looking at Logan sent me his notes um, from the game uh, before we did take him in. And he, by the way, if you've been with us all show long told you i'm getting at least one spam call every 90 minutes and you just got one right there wow if anyone wants to spam the spammer be careful they might be trying to get your voice for ai but that's the number send them my way craig no you don't want that <laughs> no, I'm send send a voice <laughs> goodbye uh but logan sent me his notes before we did our film review this morning and he writes down the coverage and a lot of it is like six question mark four question mark too, and it's not because Logan's a dummy. It's because when you get in these zone match concepts, things become very muddy. And it's like, I think it's three, mm-hmm. but that guy matches here, and you wouldn't do that in straight three. But if there's a cover three match, or it's like cover two, but it's cover two carry. So you think of traditional cover two, you have those two outside flat players. Well, in cover two carry, that outside flat player is carrying the, a deep route up the sideline. So like it kind of winds up looking a little bit like quarters. But on the other side, he didn't carry. Maybe it's cover six, and like you wind up in this very in-between space, and it's hard. But there are things you can do to undress that 
formations, personnel. And by the way, you can just not have the guy throw as much. Um, and that's not how they've rolled this year. But yeah, it did look like Sam was. Yeah, I mean, but not having a good day. From my obviously. assessment of it, I've just accepted that this might be who Sam is because, again, I think the last couple of weeks, he has regressed since, you know, I guess those early Eagles games where, like, we thought Sam was our guy or, like, some people seem to believe Sam was our guy, John Allen. Um, but I only say that because he has, you know, misreads, you know, the last couple of uh, the games. He has struggled to diagnose zones and things of that nature the last couple of games. So I think I've more so just come to grips that this might just be who Sam is and I maybe maybe he is broken though. May, may, maybe he is. But. Maybe, but like, is I don't know. I, I have a heart. I don't think he's a hundred yards a game guy. Yeah, you know. That, that, that but uh, he could be inconsistent. That's yeah. part of it too. So you know, we got three more, three more to break it down. All right. Uh, there's an obvious, obvious uh, one coming in real things. Uh, so let's get right to it. Let's end this show with real things. Real people said into real microphones. Real things. We're not gonna be sucked this year. Real people. Five and eleven. Not very good. Said into real microphones. You know the culture is actually damn good. <laughs> Struggling with math over there, bro. I am. Uh, okay, I'm I gonna do. I'm gonna play this bite. You double check the math. Um, last night, Lisa Salter's post game with Drew Locke. This interview was everywhere when I woke up this morning. Again, Drew, we can see the emotion on your face. We can hear it in your voice. Can you can you just describe what you're feeling in your heart right now? Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard to describe the feeling of you know not playing for so long, or at least what feels like a really long time to me. And then you sit there, you watch games, you wonder, can I do this still? I haven't been out there on the field. That's the human nature of it. You get back out there last week, I'm like, you know what? I'm the man, so I can go do this. And then you got another test this week where I didn't know if I was going to play or not. Sure enough, ended up playing. We're playing the Eagles tonight. And the, the boys around me rallied tonight. And it just, gosh, it feels so good. It feels so good. I'm so proud of everybody tonight. That's good stuff. I mean, Drew Locke is kind of, I think people look at him and they're like, what a doofus. He's the guy that was, you know, vibing to young Jeezy on the sideline. You know, you're like, that's that's fun, but, like, are you an NFL quarterback? I remember uh, I remember going to the Senior Bowl 2019? Had to be 2019. And Locke was there. And I remember walking away pretty impressed with him. And so good for Drew Locke. Who knows what it means moving forward for him, but good for Drew Locke. Good for the Seahawks. Eagles. Talk about that another time. Uh, that's our show. See you tomorrow on the Team 980.